Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining me in this Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, we have amazing guests join us to share their story, their successes, their failures, their lessons, their life. Before we get started today, though, I think it's important that we hit pause on the podcast and that you take the next step in your journey with us. I encourage you to follow me and follow our work on Facebook, on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever social site you like to hang out on. You can learn more about those social sites, more about our blog, more about our podcast, more about my speaking, our writing, our work at JohnO'LearyInspires.com. It's a great website. Check it out today. JohnO'LearyInspires.com. You're going to love it. And as much as you love that site, I promise you today, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, our community, you're going to love our guest. Her name is Sally Hogshead. She is a fascinating lady. She has done some remarkable things in her life. And, and perhaps more importantly, she's learned how to regain her smile, how to regain her voice, how to regain her life and the possibility within it. And in doing all of those things, she has learned how we can do likewise in our lives. You're going to love this podcast. You're going to love this episode as it reminds you that you are worthy. You are fascinating. And the best days of your journey, of your brand, of your work, and of your life remain in front of you. So get ready for it. Go ahead now. Open up your journals. Crank that podcast just a little bit louder. Grab a, grab a pen. Open up your mind and heart. You'll need it all wide open today because uh, Sally's bringing the heat. My friends, welcome to our community, to the Live Inspired Podcast, Sally Hogshead. Hey, John, I am happy to be with you here today. No, we, we are thrilled. I think the work that you have done is fascinating, and that's a term that our friends tuning in today are going to hear a lot about. For those who are not yet familiar with your work, Sally, tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. I'm an author of the book named Fascinate and How the World Sees You. And I've spent my career understanding what are the qualities in your personality that people are intensely attracted to, what makes you most impressive, most influential, so that when you're talking with somebody, they're more likely to listen, to remember, to take action on what you say. I speak on the topic. I, I live it throughout my life, and I'm, I'm so excited to be talking with you about it today because, John, I think you are fascinating. <laughs> I keep telling other people that. It doesn't seem like anyone will listen to me. I'm like, you really need to know that I'm a fascinating dude, and then they run in the other direction. You, my friend, however, <laughs> yeah. you, you you have lived a truly fascinating, fantastic life, and uh, I don't think you've even touched second base yet. you got a, a long runway still to go, <laughs> truly, Sally. Good, it's, it's good. Remarkable. All right. I like that. At the age of 44, I'm excited to know I'm, I'm still on my, my first way around the field. You are. And uh, I, I want to talk about the first way around the field. You know, it's been said that everybody has a story. It's just not the story they tell the world. 
you mm-hmm. as a speaker and author and expert in this space, you, you have been pretty honest and candid about your story. But let, let's let's back up for those that don't know your journey yet. Tell us where you were born and what life was like for you as a little kid. Sure. Um, I, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, where my parents are celebrating their 62nd wedding anniversary awesome. this coming weekend. I've lived in the same house my entire life. Um, I, I had an unusual family. My sister won three gold medals in the Olympics in swimming. And the same year, my brother graduated from Harvard. And I was the youngest of the family. And so from a very early age, I understood that um, that it's important to be able to have a point of view to connect with people and to be totally authentic because you can't copy who somebody else is. Um, Before you even I, go forward, I'm curious, as a yeah. little girl looking up at an, at an Olympic gold medalist and a Harvard grad, uh, that was not the O'Leary experience that I had as a child. Okay, so I'm, I'm curious: was that something to aspire toward, or did it kind of freak you out? Probably both. Um, my, my parents did a phenomenal job of of teaching us to aspire to be the absolute best that we could be, not necessarily compared to other people, but to be able to find the qualities within ourselves that were going to allow us to to live our best life, to 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 reach our ultimate potential. For for my sister, that was a sport swimming for my brother that was academics and business looking at that though I couldn't see where my place was within the family and in the world I knew I didn't want to copy either one of them but you know I I, it was like okay it's not academics it's not athletics (laughs) what's going to be my area and I decided that creativity Hmm. was um, was an area and I think a lot of people who are the youngest in their family have that experience of being surrounded by people who are, have already claimed a certain ground and wanting to be able to either by choice or, or by birthright being the black sheep mm-hmm. of, of discovering or inventing their own path. When did you first realize you had a gift in, in this creative space? That's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that I've never been asked that question. And I think that's a, that's a very provocative question because at what point do we become self-aware? Yes. At what point do you decide are you left-handed or right-handed? It's not really a decision. It's something that it's it's an awareness that by seeing yourself in relation to other people, we can begin to see how we're different, different in a good way, different in a in a distinctive way. Just like a brand needs to stand out in the marketplace, we as individuals, I believe, we have qualities that we've always had, and it's so critical either for us to be able to recognize that in ourselves or for somebody else to acknowledge that so that we can, we can see that those traits that are not just energizing, but are the key to our success. So I suppose that um, even early on in, <laughs> I, I was never great at mm-hmm. math. And I remember my teachers always saying, you know, if you would just learn the rules, just follow the rules, Sally, it's very black and white. You don't need to be so creative. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's when I, when I learned about being creative, but have you ever had that experience that you figure out what you're good at by being told what you're supposedly, what are your so-called flaws? Yes, of course. For me, not being linear, not being black and white, not being detail oriented was a so-called flaw. Uh, I was never going to be great at pre-algebra. I was never going to be great at that. And that's something that's a, that's a side comment that I'd like to make, that the qualities for all of us that uh, make us most likely to break through and stand out and do great things that change the world, we can't listen to the things that we're supposedly not good at because those, those are intrinsically 
inextricably related to the qualities that have us create quantum leaps for ourselves and for other people. You know, it's we if we only try to make all of us march in line, we'll fail individually and collectively. But when we allow those around us organizationally in our families and what I'm hearing from you really in our schools to discern, discover and amplify their unique talents, then they individually and then we collectively can truly shine. Absolutely. Um, In the example I just gave about my pre-algebra teacher who gave me a D plus and (laughs) said I was too creative, um, not only was I never going to be great at pre-algebra, but for me to incrementally raise my grade, just a tiny fraction, would have taken Herculean effort. Whereas by putting time into something that is a natural gift, an advantage, an advantage that we have in our in our communication and our relationship, the way we connect with the world. By focusing on those advantages, we can make we can make extraordinary quantum leaps. And this is why it's so critical for us to be able to see you don't have to be perfect at everything, but you are extraordinary at something. And so the key is to stop trying to be all things to all people to be pretty good at everything and instead over-deliver in those areas in which we're naturally primed to succeed and make a difference. Do you believe that, what, 7.5 billion people are excellent at something? Oh, absolutely. Without question. Um, Now, not there are categories that we've been taught as we're being raised. We've been taught that we should be great at be the smart one, be the funny one, be the strong one. But really, it's way more nuanced than that. There are many ways to succeed, and it's not a one-size-fits-all formula. In, uh, I'd like to give you a couple of pieces of research that help illustrate mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. I've measured one million professionals over the course of the last decade, measuring just what we're talking about. What is your natural advantage that allows you to stand out and be heard? And what I found is there are seven different ways that people can um, uh, can communicate in a meaningful way. But some of these are, are unexpected. Um, for somebody being analytical and meticulous, fine-tuned, strategic, that's one way of succeeding. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, hands down, that is not my way of succeeding. <laughs> I will never succeed when I'm being measured according to how, how detail-oriented I am. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't make sense for me to focus on that, just like it doesn't make sense for me to put all my energy into pre-algebra. But what I found in, in this research is the high performers, the people that are, are making the biggest difference, they don't try to be all things to all people. There are two things that the high performers do differently. And the first thing is they, they focus on delivering a specific benefit. So in other words, the people who are motivating who, who can rally a room or raise motivation in a company, that's what they focus on. And they don't try to drain their energy with being the spreadsheet person. Mm-hmm. They look for teams where they can over-deliver in that area. Uh, the second thing that high performers do differently is they turn that benefit into a specialty. Um, they, they, they craft their communication around that. They, they find projects or tasks or opportunities that allow them to double down in that particular area. For me, I'm, I'm never going to be meticulous. I'm never going to be the person who likes to add up a, a spreadsheet. 
so it wouldn't make sense for me to find clients or, or, um, or projects that I'm working on that. On the other hand, I love developing big creative ideas to, to create concepts and profusion, to be energizing, to be social. So that's it. my benefit is that I can create fascinating ideas. And my specialty is that I can make you fascinating or more to the point, show you what makes you fascinating. And that's true for everybody. Everybody yes. has a way, that, a special benefit and a way that they can apply that in their work and life. And I've, I've dedicated my life to helping people see that because it's only when we see this natural specialty that we can, uh, we can do the work that we were really meant to do in the biggest possible way. Sally, I, w- I want to sp- kind of pause and celebrate a couple of the folks in your life who, uh, who showed you how special and fascinating you were. Let- let's start f- first with your mom. G- give us a sense for who your mom was and who she is. Oh, yes. My mom. Oh, gosh. My heart swells just thinking about this. Um, my mom was and is an extraordinary support in my life, somebody that I, I can model any decision after WWMD, what would mom do? <laughs> and uh, um, she, w- she, she put my dad through medical school wow. when the two of them um, were living on her teacher's salary. She taught second graders. And um, uh, so her ability to bring out the best in other people and to create a family culture of, of love and adoration and fun, but also excellence is mm. something that I, I hope I can live up to that in my own, my own family and my own life. Give, give us one story, not, not just kind of like the broad bullets of what she did. Give me one story that really unpacks this gift of your mom. Ah, uh, what a wonderful question. Um, when my mom was growing up, uh, it, it was recognized early on that she's she's wildly smart, yeah. brilliant beyond compare. And I, I make this point because a lot of times we think that if somebody stays at home with their kids, that that they didn't have the choice to have an extraordinary career. And yes. she very much did. They gave her a, a, an IQ test when she was young and she only got one question wrong. And they thought that that must have just been a, a, a mistake or somehow it was mistested. So uh, so they retested her. But in the meantime, she had, she had gone and found out what the answer was to that question. <laughs> and the question was, do fish have feathers? And she had been told that flying fish have something that's the equivalent to feathers. So she got the answer wrong by saying, yes, they do have feathers. And then when she went back and she was retested, she got 100% on the IQ test. And what I love about this is that brilliance comes in many forms, that she's naturally brilliant, not just in helping us do our homework, but she has a, 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 a nuance for people and for social abilities that she could charm the pants off of anybody within the first few moments of meeting them because she was able to read people. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so naturally she wasn't trying to, it's just, it Your was gift. something that she couldn't not do it. And, and I hope that that's something I've been able to pick up from her in some small way. And her partner of more than six decades is your dad. Yes. T- talk a little My bit about dad. dad. <laughs> Moody and big D, um, <laughs> big D. <laughs> he um, he grew up in a, in a very very modest means, a family in in Iowa. His um, his parents they they almost lost their house in the depression. Uh, it was and because his, his father was a train conductor and money was so tight for his father, my grandfather, and a neighbor who they'd never spoken to before um, because he kept to himself came over one day and gave his father enough money for them to not be kicked out 
and be homeless with the family. And my, my father has told me that story with tears in his eyes. And I think it, he's always kept that Midwestern work ethic and to be, um, to, to, to not focus on just being charismatic or talented and instead to find a way to, to solve any problem. He's the first person in his family who went to college. And not only that, but he graduated summa cum laude from college and went on to medical school. And, and it was that trajectory of his that, that is, uh, is, is, is always encouraging to me because it's easy to say, well, you grew up in a family with all kinds of excellence around you. Well, actually, no. If we go back yes. one more generation, things weren't always off the charts, at least in terms of profession and education. Your father is part of one of my favorite blogs that I've ever seen or read that you wrote. It's uh, it's a story of how your dad uh, not only gave you life, but 10 years later may have saved your life. Yeah. Do me a favor. And, uh, you know, I don't have the blog in front of me right now, and I doubt you sure. do either, but you lived it. Uh, sh- share with us w- what you mean with that. Your dad gave you life, and then a decade later, he saved your life. I Gosh, I can I, I can feel myself getting emotional just thinking about this. Have you ever had a story, John, that you didn't even realize how significant it was until looking back, you see that it pieces fell into place as a result of something that seemed traumatic. I'm I'm guessing that you do have something in your history related to an accident that right. you can relate to. And um, I would imagine that is true for all of us. And it's, 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 yeah. it always wows me to think that almost none of us realize the profound nature of that event. Whatever the the divorce, the bankruptcy, the fire, in my case, or the story yes. that you're about to share with us, we never really realize how profoundly beneficial this thing was in the journey that's to follow. Yes, and the, and the purpose that it gives. Um, if you meet me, you'll see I have I have a scar on my face. Uh, it, it's not prominent, but it's always been there, and I never really thought about where the scar. I never really dug into emotionally where the scar came from. And here's here's the story of this scar on my face. Um, my dad was a surgeon. He's, he's a retired orthopedic surgeon. And so sometimes during the week, I didn't get to see him very much. Um, but on Sundays, we had this tradition. I would always go to the hospital with him while he did rounds of meeting with all of his patients. And we were going over the bridge to the hospital one day. And I, I specifically remember we were talking about um, how my dad loves his job and how important it is for him to be able to do medicine. And that's the last thing that I remember before I woke up on the operating room table just for a moment before being sucked back into unconsciousness. And what had happened when we were going over the bridge immediately after we exited the bridge, a tow truck ran a red light and smashed into my window of this small car. We were wrapped around a telephone pole and the tow truck grill slammed into my face and the windshield shattered like shrapnel in my forehead. I was unconscious. My dad was unconscious and he doesn't know how long they were unconscious, how long he was unconscious. But as soon as he came to, he saw that I wasn't breathing. And so he had to find a way to cut me out of the seatbelt, pull me out of the car and perform CPR. And this is the part that kills me. Somebody, a family friend was driving and said, called my mom and said, your daughter's been killed Mm. in an accident. And after the accident, because they didn't know how long I didn't have oxygen to the brain, the concern had been how it, how would I recover? Nobody nobody knew exactly, and I did recover intellectually 
pretty quickly. But the, the, the thing that um, scarred me inside and out forever was all the nerves had been severed on one side of my face from the tow truck grill. And so I had these ugly, thick, dark green stitches that were just hideous. But for me, what the part that was, was most hideous was that when I smiled, that it was a, it was grotesque. It looked like I was grimacing and smiling had always been my, my way of interacting with mm-hmm. people. I smile at you, you smile back at me, my eyes light up, your eyes light up. And that's how we create a connection. And so if I didn't have that, it was almost like my mouth had been sewn shut along with my face. I, I just stopped communicating because as soon as I would try to connect with somebody, I felt like I was, um, it was humiliating and it was completely invalidating. It didn't matter what my words were. What mattered was I couldn't communicate. And so I started writing. I, I just, I, I became very much a, a loner and started writing about what this experience was like. And after, after my face did recover, um, mostly I, my, my mouth, my smile is crooked and and uh, my, my scar is still apparent. And I decided that I didn't want to fix that because instead I wanted to focus on understanding people who are in the same situation in which they're prevented from communicating. They're prevented from having a message that other people can hear and remember. They, 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 it's almost as though they, they're, the flame of, of, of their most glorious qualities are extinguished. And so as a, in college, I went to Africa. I, I, I took some classes at the University of Nairobi and I lived with a tribe um, in Africa that was so remote they'd never seen a white woman hmm. before. And the women were so deeply disempowered. They had no education. They had no options. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have electricity and they didn't have birth control. And so there were 13 kids per woman. And, I, I, and what I saw from living in that goat dung hut for a short time was that when we're deprived of the ability to understand who we are at our best, we're never going to be able to reach our own potential for ourselves and for other people. And so that started me on this journey of understanding, what does it mean when someone's shut down? You, you will never succeed by being quiet. You'll never succeed when you play small. If you can't make a difference unless you can play big and to know that your message is making a difference. And so out of that, I, I, I kind of found my own life's calling. And I never even thought about the scar on my face until somebody said, uh, working, with, working with people about who are, who are in a place in their life because they've been fired or broken up with or organizations that get crushed by a bankruptcy mm-hmm. um, to the, the journey that they're going through is very similar to the journey that I went through. But then on the other side, the possibility is that, 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 that who we are at our best can oftentimes come out of an experience that seems like it has caused us to live at our worst. Mm. Amazing story. And of course, I'd read a little bit of this without the details you threw in there, including your father providing CPR to his baby girl on the street at the scene of the accident. So, yeah. Sally, I know that's a, a lot to share, but it's also a, an incredibly valuable lesson for all of us and for you. When you wake up to this truth in your life, what, what do you begin doing with it? I, I know after graduating college, after these crazy experiences in Africa and before, you, you go into, I think, media marketing? I did. I, I decided that I wanted to go into advertising. Um, and and the, the reason why I wanted to go into advertising is because I love to identify what is the essence 
of a brand? What, what are those qualities um, within a brand that if you can identify them, then the brand becomes loved? And it was a way for me to apply my creativity, but also doing what my mother always coached me, get a job with dental insurance. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I love that, that the parallel between the car accident that I was in and the ability to be in advertising was the knowledge that we need to be able to find in everything and that sometimes identifying the the most crucial parts of of a person or a brand or a message means that you have to sort through a lot of layers of what it's not. So for the first 10 years, I I had this love affair with advertising and I worked with brands like BMW and Nike and Ikea, Target, Coca-Cola. And I was the creative director. The job of the creative director is like the coolest job in the world. You're coming up with the ideas for the advertising campaign. So imagine if you, if you think of Nike, John, you know, Nike's tagline, I'm sure. What is it? Just do it, baby. Just do it. That's right. So when Nike says, just do it, they're not talking about shoelaces and rubber. They're, they're not even talking about shoes or athletic apparel. What they're saying is, um, find a way to tap into your, your inner athlete. And we want to empower that their mission statement is to empower the athlete in all of us. And so in working on Nike, we never talked about, we never talked about the shoes or the caps or the clothes. We talked about this, this core driving force. And after about 10 years, I started realizing, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to identify the most loved parts of a brand. I want to identify the most loved parts of people. Mm. What is it about you? That's your version of Nike or mini Cooper. If, um, if Nike is all about athletic empowerment and Mini Cooper is all about participation and experience, then what is it that, that you're all about? Because once, once somebody shows that to you, it becomes really easy for you to focus on that in your life. To, to, just as a brand has an advertising campaign, we as individuals, if we know how our communication makes a real difference for other people, so that they so that they, they hear what we're saying, they value how we're contributing, and they they want to come back to us over and over again. Once once somebody can show that to you, it becomes so much more natural for you just to to stop doing the stuff that feels awkward and unnatural, like writing with your left hand, and instead for you to tap into those those wellspring qualities. You know, a moment ago you asked me a question that that I needed to think about for a minute. You said, "When did you first know that you were creative?" And we, you and I were talking about how some, sometimes we can self-identify, but more importantly, if somebody, if somebody tells us, you know what you do differently and better than anyone else, you have a real gift in doing X, Y, Z, like discovering the details or empowering the team or developing um, a respected reputation for yourself and your company. Whatever it is, and so so now that's what I do for a living, and it's it's uh, it, it 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 is every day I wake up and I think it it is such a gift for me to be able to show other people their gifts, who they are at their best, and uh, um, it 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 comes full circle with the car accident that we had been talking about. I was shut off from communicating, and so I don't want anybody to have yes. that experience of feeling insecure. I love your passion for the work you're doing. I'm I'm, I'm curious mm. after waking up from the accident and then really waking up into life, how long was it before you and your dad even talked about what took place? Can I tell you we never yeah talked about it. I think it was I've never I've never really thought this through, but I actually asked him about it a few months ago 
when I was writing that blog post, I was writing it from my perspective and it was really hard. We were both, I think it's because it, it, it was such a horrific experience that we wanted to, um, wanted to move on quickly. Let me ask you, I mean, you, what was, let me ask you that question. What was it like for you in talking with people, uh, people in your family after your accident? You know, so I, I, you know, you and I, I always tell our guests before we go live. So this is a little peek behind the curtain, my friends, that this is basically not an interview. It's two friends having coffee or having a glass of wine on the beach. Just two people talking with a whole lot of friends listening in. So you're, you're experiencing that right now. So in answering your question, Sally, we never talked about the fire ever, really, until almost 20 years later when ah. my mom and dad, my dad got Parkinson's disease. He worked for a while. He eventually lost his job, came home, reflected on his life, oh. wrote a little book, 100 copies with the help of my mom called Overwhelming Odds. 85,000 copies later, you and I are on <sighs> on this interview. Yeah. I'm a professional yeah. speaker. I have my own book out there. We have this podcast because my dad got Parkinson's disease, which freed us to use this tragedy for good again. Oh. And that's almost always the way it plays out. I don't think most of us talk about the bad stuff in real time, if ever. But uh. it is so healthy to eventually realize that those scars aren't the end of it. In fact, that they're the best of it, maybe. And isn't it, it, it's so easy for you and I to say, looking back, and by the way, pass the sugar for this cup of coffee that we're sharing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it's easy to, it's easy to, to think um, in, in retrospect to say, wow, you know, th- this worked out pretty well. We both found our life calling out of, out of something mm-hmm. that happened early on. But I think the, the real challenge is when you're in the thing yes. that is either uncomfortable or flat out traumatic, um, what are what, what's the self coaching that we can give each other? There's a, just an element of faith that has to has to play in there to to know that you don't know the answer yet. The, the story, the end of the story, hasn't been written yet. So, how about I ask you that question? When you are speaking, or when you're having coffee with a girlfriend, and they're in the middle of something tragic, it could be the loss of a child, a divorce, uh, you name it. What how what do you do as a friend when you're sitting back at this place in your life of status and success, looking at someone else who's struggling? What advice might uh, you offer? Um, that that's such a wonderful question. I play a game with my kids, and the game is why is this the best thing that could possibly happen? Now, so um, so they uh, they get a bad grade in a class, or they get their feelings hurt, or they don't make the play. Some, something goes wrong and they internalize that. And so the game we play is why is this the best thing that could happen? And using the example of my kids, um, if they, if they get a bad grade, then it's, wow. And now, now we know that we can really <laughs> rally some great tutoring in that area or they didn't get in the play. Well, now we have more time to, um, to pursue a different passion and we can always prep more for the next rehearsal or tryouts. When this happens in, with a friend when there's a divorce or illness in the family, it's harder to play the game in such a fun way. But sometimes it's good to just kind of give our neurons a bit of a, of of a chance to refresh themselves simply by asking the question, not in a flip way, but John, why is it that, why is the accident that you were in the best thing that could possibly have happened? And, and listen, I'm, I, I don't mean to presume that I know your life, but mm-hmm. if we were going to be doing this exchange, what would you say? 
you know, and I've had three decades to reflect on it. So I, I have a more articulate answer than I think many people who are in the midst of the storm or the fire might have. But I can look back on that fire and realize that because of it and the amputations and the scars and the woundedness and the months and surgeries and years of recovery, that it led to the foundation of character, of faithfulness, of community. It led to where I uh. went to college, which led to a chance encounter with a brunette, which led to four little babies <laughs> and now 14 years of marriage uh, and waking up next, next to my best friend. It led to this interview with you and I right now. So mm. it is... In the middle of the fire, it is very hard to see that that is coming downstream. But the beauty ah. of your question and that game is it provides hope that maybe there is something still there. Yes, it's, um, it doesn't get the light at the end of the tunnel, but at least it shows that you're in a tunnel, not a room without windows. Right. I don't know any sense. May I give you another example of, of that phenomenon? The yeah, wisest, of course. The best thing that could happen? Um. Um, in, in the year 2001, um, I had my own advertising agency and I was invited to open up a bigger advertising agency. The only thing was I would have to lay off all my employees and go with a new staff. Um, so I took the risk and it went incredibly well on the first day, but the second day was September 11th Mm. and So, of course, the whole world changed on September 11th, and it's very hard to see that it's very hard to play that game. Um, But it was it was so I, I, I was I mean, it wasn't just providing for my family that needed to happen. I had just laid off all these people. I had, you know, I I was, I felt as though I wanted to provide for their families in some way. And so I began mentoring people and I mentored um, people in all different types of creative fields and entrepreneurs. And what I began seeing was there were certain patterns of how people were finally able to create breakthroughs. And one of the things that I found was that being in a situation being in a job or a relationship or a scenario that you don't like isn't your fault, mm. but you always have options to change the situation. They just might, they, you might have to work harder to find those options. And, and uh, another thing that I discovered was if you, you, you can't, if you're, if you really want to make a big difference in your life, you can't necessarily plan out the whole thing. You have to jump and let the net appear. There's a certain element of risk in all success. And so I began writing these, and that, that turned into a magazine article. Mm-hmm. The magazine article turned into my first book, and it was after my first book that I discovered that I really wanted to be an author. And so um, it, was, it was only through having been through what, what for I think all of us, we shared as one of, the, one of the most horrible experiences ever, that we've all had to have our own journeys of discovering um, where do we go from here? And for me, um, along the way, I was pregnant with twins, <laughs> right, right at, as that was happening. I was pregnant with twins, and I lost one of the babies. Mm. When you're pregnant with twins and you lose one, the odds are, are much higher that you're going to lose the other baby. And so I had to be on complete bed rest. So it was like, bam, bam, these, these two life-changing events happened one right after the other. But being on bed rest allowed me, why is this the best thing that could happen? Because I was on bed rest, I could completely immerse myself in writing my first book. 
And of course, I wouldn't have known that at the time. It's not like if I had been (laughs) sitting there next. If we'd been having this cup of coffee while I was laying flat in bed trying to keep my baby alive, I'm not sure that I would have wanted to play that game. (laughs) But once again, the universe provides. We just don't know. We don't know what the journey is while we're in the middle of it. You have... uh seen this played out not only in the birth of your little one, the marriage, the way you're raising the children that you have, but also in the life. And recently, I understand the death of your father-in-law. Can you, um, yes. you know, I know we're kind of going personal today, but hey, that's life. Yeah. And I appreciate you going there with me. Talk about I your- I may need to get a refill on my coffee. <laughs> yeah. And, and whatever else you're pouring in your coffee today, in right, addition to really. the cream. You said something about wine earlier. Yes. <laughs> um, we are in the midst of a very family experience. And the experience is this. My husband's father, whose name is Art, we about a month ago, we got a call that Art was not doing well. And so my husband and I went up and I had never met Art. Um, we spent the day with him and we went, we went home feeling like Art still, um, he, he, was, he was doing really well health-wise comparatively. Then just um, one week ago today, we got a phone call at 10 p.m., and the call was, he is, he's failing. He's, 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 he's not doing well at all. By 9 a.m. the next morning, less than 12 hours later, my husband and six of our eight kids flew up to Atlanta to spend the day with them. And they had an amazing day of telling stories and laughing, and the kids got to have some great quality time with them. The very next day, Art went on life support where he continues to be. What I take away from that is that Art, Art, is still, Art is still with us and he's struggling. But his very last day when he was alert and conscious and in, ready to tell stories and laugh and hug, the very last day was the day that my husband and, and six of our kids spent the time with him. If we had waited more than 12 hours to mm-hmm. get everybody on a plane – that never would have been possible. And so I just like for, for anybody who's joining us in this cup of coffee that you and I are having, it's so important to tell the people that we love that we love them and to, and to be there and to take every opportunity we can to hug them and squeeze them and just tell them how significant they are. And this is true for any type of relationship, any friendship. If, if, if somebody has mentored you and that meant something to you, tell them that those words can can not only mean something significant for you, but can be almost life-changing for them. My dad is a surgeon. We're just going to go deeper. Is that, is that, like, gonna, this is like the Lego Lego blocks adding on to yes. each other of, fam, of personal family stories. Um, as an orthopedic surgeon, my dad focused on spines. He, he helped people who couldn't walk climbing in his pecan tree to pick pecans and he, and he fell out of the tree and he was um, paralyzed. And my father operated on him and he was able to walk again. So every single year, my dad, <laughs> we get a one pound box of freshly shelled pecans mm. from this man every single year <laughs> since the day. And we always make, we turn it into a pie and we always have the pecan pie in celebration of this man. And something that I started noticing when I went home is how many cards my dad get my dad gets from patients that he's that he's changed their lives in some way and now now that my dad is 86 now it's the cards from the daughter of the patient mm. or the the 
the, um, the, the cousins or the niece or nephew because the difference that we make, the, the measure of your life is not on how many people you help, but how many people those people help. And what I'd like to propose is that the real significance, the way to make our lives matter the most is through this ripple effect of not just the people that, that you change their life, but mm-hmm. how many lives are changed as a result of those people. And I always think of my dad as being an extraordinary example. He operated maybe on a thousand people, but there are countless people who were, who were affected by those actions that he, that he took. And then often he did it for free as a, as a, as a donation. And John, I think you do the same thing that you, 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 you show us what, how good life can be and how to live in a more inspired, empowered way. And then when we experience that from, from this podcast and from your book and from all of that, then we go and we want to share that, whether we're talking about you or not, that we want to, we want to pass on that, that optimism, that, that aspiration for who we can become. And so I thank you for that. Uh, Sally, thank you for that. And, and you do the same for us and for life. And you also teach us how to see it in ourselves. I think seeing beauty and being fascinated in your spouse or your children or your parents, your father in your case, anyone around you, it's very easy. It's much harder actually to see than yourself, which is one yeah. of the real takeaways that I received when I went through one of your personality profile. Uh, test. Talk a little bit about how you set up this test and then tell us where we can learn more about it. Sure. Um, over the course of the last 10 years, this, this work that we've been talking about, um, it, 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 has, it has turned into um, my life's work, showing people what makes them valuable and admired so that they can be empowered to, to bring that out into the world. Um, I, I created an assessment that just like we, just like when I was in advertising, I could, I could help identify a brand with the, the most valuable, admirable qualities within a brand in the same way I found a way to create a parallel of that. Mm-hmm. How do you find the most valuable, admirable qualities within an individual? Because once I show it to you, then it becomes easier for you to, to apply that in everything you do. And it's, it's, a, it's an assessment. It's named the Fascination Advantage. Because the way in which you're fascinating gives you an advantage um, that's a, a natural way for you to succeed. And uh, I, I, I started, I started the, creating the assessment. Just It was kind of a pet project, something that I was doing while I was waiting for my second book to be published. And I was feeling kind of antsy that I, it was off being printed in China. And, um, and so I started, I started taking all this research that I had, research on hundreds of thousands of people, and I started developing a a way to ask questions that are not measuring how you see the world, but it's the opposite. It's measuring how does the world see you? In other words, how do other people see you at your best? What are the qualities within you that they value the most, that that make them want to seek you out, to work with you, champion for you, evangelize for you, promote you, fall in love with you even? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you ever done an assessment, John, like a Myers-Briggs strength Yeah, finder? I feel like I've done the vast majority of them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I love those tests. Those are the tests that I just mentioned are the gold standard, DISC and Colby. Um, these are the gold standard, and they're, they're built yes. on psychology. And so they're, they're measuring how do you see the world? Well, 
if we look from a different perspective and we say, well, it's good to know how you see the world, but it's also really important to know how do other people see you at mm-hmm. your best. Mm-hmm. If you're in a job interview or even a first date or say you're making a critical presentation or a speech, how are you most likely to impress and persuade the person that you're talking to? And so in order to, in order to answer that question, how do people see you? We have to look through branding. So, when you take the fascination advantage assessment, it's 28 questions. Um, and, uh, and at the end, your result tells you, here's how people are most likely to admire you, fall in love with you and, and value your opinion. And here's what I, here's, I'd like to give an invitation since you and I are sitting here having coffee. And just before you extend the invite, know that you extended it to me about two weeks ago. I, I accepted, I took it. I loved it. And uh, yes. as you make the ask, I'm going to also invite everybody else. I, hey, guys, I took this. I loved it. It kind of nailed me. Oh, yay. And uh, I think other <laughs> folks are going to be nailed, but also be grateful for that because it's important to see how others see us at our best. Yes. It, it, you know what? There's, there's not enough of that. Sometimes it's so, it's so easy for us to see our flaws and our insecurities. You know, we might look in the mirror and, and see all the things that are wrong. But what if you had a mirror that could show you everything you're doing that's right, everything you're doing that you don't need to... You don't need to change anything. You just have to do more of what you're already doing mm-hmm. right to become more of who you are. And that's, that's what the assessment is showing you. So when, um, John, you and I, ha- I we, we, we cooked up a, a surprise for us to share with our friends who are sitting here with us in our conversation. <laughs> right. And that is that <laughs> we want to invite them to be able to do it, too. Uh, is now a good time for me to yeah, please, let's- uh, describe that? I think you should, and, and just so the folks listening while they're driving, if that's where they are right now, I will make sure I have links to this in the show notes, so uh, we can always go there afterwards. But, but Sally, go ahead and tell us where we can learn more. Sure, yeah. But here's here's the website to kind of to get the free version. It's it's how to fascinate, how to fascinate, and I'll spell fascinate because I know that this isn't the world's <laughs> easiest. S a s c i n a t e. How to fascinate dot com forward slash you, Y-O-U. So howtofascinate.com forward slash you. And the code to get it for free is live inspired. Live inspired. All one word. It's not case sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and John, when, when, when you took the assessment, you found out how the world sees you at your best. Mm. Can, can I talk about your results just for a sec? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, there are seven different ways that people fascinate. We have different combinations. You fascinate with primary power, which means you're confident and you're very comfortable in a position of leadership. The, the second thing about you that makes you fascinating is that you have very high standards for excellence. And so you help people raise the bar. You, you, you show people how they can constantly improve. And when you and I were first chatting, I said, tell me a little bit about the people who are, who are part of your community. And he said, um, everybody knows that they can do better and they want to, and they want to bring that into their work and into their life, which was such an aspirational comment. And that's, that's perfectly describing who you are at your best. You're confident and you're committed to excellence. Can I also tell you a way that you are not likely to fascinate, mm-hmm. meaning something that's exhausting for you? Please. There's- it's exhausting for you when you can't participate. You ha- Your dormant advantage, what that means is, um, this is the area of, of, of struggle, something that for you is, is going to feel like it's a lot of work emotionally or physically. For you, you don't like to sit on the sidelines. Right. You don't want to have to 
be stuck in a room by yourself. You want to be actively engaging with people. So if you're in a situation in which somebody says, hey, John, um, listen, we don't really need you to be interacting with people and we don't need you to focus. Just go in this back room and maintain the status quo for a while. Don't rock the boat. Yes. For you, that's that's probably not going to be very empowering. No, that's you, not deeply it? inspiring. Not deeply inspiring. Um, and so, so, so the key here is this. When you understand how you're most likely to fascinate somebody, meaning make a positive impression and build the relationship, then, then you know, okay, I need to surround myself with people and projects that allow me to do this. On the other hand, there are some ways that mm-hmm. some things that are going to be draining for you. For me, repetition is very draining, doing the same thing over and over again, having a rigid routine or, or schedule or structure. Mm-hmm. So I know that I have to avoid that. And that's something that people are going to get to learn when they take the assessment. And what, what I encourage people to do is take it for yourself, find out about yourself, but then share it with somebody else. Agreed. Remember, it's all about paying it forward. It's all about creating that ripple effect. Share it with your social network. Post it on Facebook and start a conversation to say, this assessment will show you in just a few minutes, it'll show you uh, your most fascinating qualities. Tell me what your result is, and I'll tell you what mine is so we can have a dialogue about it. And we've had people take this and and do it within schools or create a dinner party around it or do it with their entire team and everybody prints out their results and comes together for lunch to talk about. There's something really motivating about, about identifying who you are at your best. Here's what I've learned. The greatest way to empower someone is to show them who they are at their best and then to help them focus on doing more of that, to do it on, to be themselves on purpose. That is awesome. I'm, I'm going to repeat it. The, the, the greatest way to empower someone is to inspire them to realize who they are at their best. Did I get that right? Is, is to show them who they are at their best. So, if, so when, I show you, when I give you the assessment, I'm showing you who you are at your best. When you give this to somebody else, you're showing them who they are at their best. And that's, that's the kind of, of – this isn't a business for me. It's a crusade. I want people to understand that, yes, you do have qualities that allow you to, to make a difference. But in order for you to use those qualities, you have to know what they are. And it's hard for you to be able to see yourself in the mirror the way I can see you. And so I, using my branding background, am going to show you your most persuasive traits that are going to allow you to um, build the team you want, have the relationship you want, get the clients you want, grow your organization, build a culture that you want, because otherwise you're just going to be struggling around in that quicksand we talked about. Sally, a final question before we shift gears into the Live Inspired 7. Looking back at this journey you've been on. I won't even say how many how many candles you've been blowing out recently in the cake, but you, <laughs> you, you've been running around for a while now, and you've been doing phenomenal work for a while now. What surprised you most about the work that you uh, that you're currently doing? Oh, what a wonderful question. Um, I would say how often I have to continually relearn it. <laughs> that it's you know like just because you've learned a lesson or even teach yeah. something doesn't mean that you don't have to keep doing it. I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, I had a lisp, and um, partly that came from the car accident, but partly just the way God made me. I decided recently a, a client approached me and they heard my story about how I lost my smile, and the company said we'd like to give you braces so that you can make sure that you have the absolute best smile. We'd like you to be a spokesperson. And um, and the name of the company is Six Month Smiles. But here's what I learned. 
the the brace with the braces i have a i have a really difficult time talking and i sound i sound like i have a worse worse lisp than i ever did and so imagine your name is sally hogshead you study fascination <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's so the hard thing for me is being self-conscious yes and 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 for for a while um when I, when I first got the braces, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do any interviews. I didn't want to do any videos. I didn't want to do any speeches. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm right back where I started mm-hmm. with a car accident. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't playing the game of why is this the best thing that could happen? But the answer to why is this the best thing that could happen is because it reminds me how easy it is to get into a place of insecurity and self judgment. If we don't have a bigger vision, that's more important than that insecurity or flaw that we see in the mirror, or in this case, here in the phone. Man, we should drop the mic on that because that is profoundly important, <laughs> not only for a speaker and writer and consultant like you, but for a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a teacher, a nurse, a student, a, a trash collector, a, st- a, sweep, a street sweeper. Name the job title. We need to be reminded that the thing at hand is bigger than, than the risk. It's bigger than people judging us. It's bigger than... Th- uh, the smile that hangs a little bit to one side or the other. So that, mm-hmm. that's a great reminder, Sally. Thank All right, my you. friend, I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit. Every, every guest that we've had on the Live Inspired podcast gets danced through these seven questions. So uh, here you go. Number one is, what is the best book that you have ever read? Oh, gosh. Oh, oh I'm loving this question. Um, and I'm an author, so... I, I have to know the answer. Um, um, okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that one. All right, we're oh, coming Jonathan back to number Livingston one. Siegel. Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and the reason is because it was the first book I read that had a higher purpose. Do you remember this book? I don't even know you if know, it's in print you are anymore. You my second guest who shared that, and I had not heard of it before. I Googled it, but did not read it afterward. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the book. Well, I got to tell you, this was when I was in the seventh grade, and um, and I was I was called upon by the teacher to come up and do a really quick little um, kind of read an inspirational passage from it, and um, and I, I I can't I can't quote the story or quote the passage, but what I can tell you is how it made me feel when I read the passage. I think it was Maya Angelou. People won't remember what you said, but they'll always remember how that you made them feel. Mm-hmm. I remember how the book made me feel, and it made me feel like all things were possible. Mm-hmm. Well, you're uh, you're living proof of that book. So, uh, tell us the, the title one more time. Is it the Seagull? You know, <laughs> it's so funny. I'm, I'm picturing the. I'm trying to call up the the picture of this very small, simple book in my mind, and it was like '70s groovy type. Yeah. Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and yeah. it's it's written. If I remember correctly, it's written in the first person from the voice of the seagull. Okay. So pick up the book. '70s. It's going to be trippy, but you're going to yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so number, question number two. Tomorrow, you discover that your wealthy uncle has shockingly died, Sally, at 103, leaving you with millions. What would you do with that newfound wealth? I would keep, I would keep living the same way that I am, but I would create um, greater possibilities for my family and my children, for everybody to have security without, for everybody to be able to make the choice of, of, what they do with their life. But I, but, but I love the way I live. I mean, it, I'm not speaking from a lifestyle perspective. I mean, I, it's not like I wouldn't quit working. I definitely right. wouldn't quit what I'm doing because that far transcends money for me. If your house caught fire 
and all living things, all living people are out, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing, an item that really matters to you. What would you grab? My dog. What if your, okay, <laughs> what if your dog was out too? So the puppies okay, are out, the people are out, and now you take a deep breath and run in. What do you get? Um, when my husband proposed to me, he, he, I, w- I was giving a speech to a, an enormous group of people, and I said, are there any questions? And he raised his hand when he was my fiance, when, when he was my boyfriend. He raised his hand in the back and I was I felt really awkward. <laughs> I was like, yes. And he he stood up next to a flip chart that had written in huge letters, Will you marry me? I would run in and uh I, I, I got that framed and it hangs over our bed. And that it's a constant awesome. reminder of the, the joy of spontane- spontaneity combined with timeless love. Mm. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation on a gorgeous day with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to be hanging out with on that bench? I kind of like talking with you if we <laughs> if we could bring our coffee. Cups. We'll need more time and uh, maybe yeah. a bottle of wine. <laughs> Deal. Hey, I, I would look forward to it. What's the best advice you've ever received? My dad told me while I was growing up, he said, you don't have to change who you are. You just have to become more of who you are. Mm. And I've always remembered that. I didn't have to try to be like somebody else. And you don't have to try to be like somebody else. You don't want to change who you are. You just have to become more of who you are. And there's something really relaxing and affirming about that. It's like I, I feel my energy change when I think, God, I don't have to fix anything. Yes. I just have to see what I'm doing right and do more of that. Great share. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh. Floss more. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, I would say um, um, joy and passion and, and spontaneity are, are good, but, um, but so is um, um, thoughtfully planning for the future because sometimes I made erratic choices that – um, why is this the best thing that could happen? Well, because, you know, your life is the sum total of all the parts. But there there are certain times where I could have been maybe a little bit less spontaneous. Mm, perfect. It's been said that all great people, Sally Hogshead, can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? The greatest value that you can add, the greatest difference you can make is to become more of yourself. Sally, you, the greatest, ha- I think you got it. The greatest difference you made was not only becoming more of yourself, but, but regaining that smile, regaining uh, that voice, and then reminding the rest of us to do likewise. It has been a treat to spend some time with you oh, today. John, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm so honored to be able to talk with you. This is the first time that we've ever gotten to talk live, and I, I really want to thank you for create in the world and allow us each to create in the world. I, I truly appreciate it. I know it's been life-changing for so many of us. Well, uh, it, likewise, your work matters. So keep going, keep smiling, tell your mom and dad that I love them. And uh, uh, we'll be thinking of your father-in-law during this time. Yes. Thank you so much, John. All right, my friends, that was Sally Hogg said, this is John O'Leary. And today is your day. Live inspired. My friends, 
Sally is my kind of lady. I, I love her heart. I love the way she has learned through both the good and the bad of her past and how she realizes that where she is today is the sum total of everything that has taken place in her past. That the seemingly good and the bad stuff has worked perfectly for a purpose bigger than she could have imagined. It's true in her life. It's true in each one of our lives. And if you want to learn a little bit more about how you can fascinate others, how you can live in this wonderful space by becoming more perfectly who you are, by finding that voice, by finding that smile, by finding the things that set you apart, that make you unique, and that make you worthy of truly being celebrated, go ahead and take that survey today. It is free. It is all available right now on our website. Check it out at John. O'LearyInspires.com, John O'LearyInspires.com. You can go there into the podcast show notes, look for the Sally Hogshead episode, and then take that survey. Go ahead and take it for free today. Type in the words Live Inspired, where it gives you the code. This will make it free and it will make you make it, I think, value, extraordinarily value-based and uh, priceless in some regards as you discern and rediscover who you are and what makes you truly shine. If you enjoy these podcast episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, take a moment now, share this one, share all of them, if you'd like, through your social media. It's a really cool way to help us magnify and multiply the efforts that together we have taken on. Here we are in season five couple, what, 600,000 downloads in, touching lives all around the world. We are honored to have you as part of our community, and we are grateful that you are helping us spread the word. So uh, tell your friends, tell your family, tell the, the folks you work with and worship with about John O'Leary, the Inspires, the Live Inspired podcast, what it means to you and what it might mean to them. My friends, I want to thank you again for waking up with me from accidental living and for choosing to live inspired. I want to remind you again, loud and clear, that the best of your days remain in front of you. So for this time and until next time, this is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live inspired.